0: pride, how pride is the ultimate blessing blocker. You know, God wants to to minister to each and every one of us, but you know, um, we have to humble ourselves, and I think oftentimes um, we, we kind of put pride in a certain category. We think of pride, and we think of individuals that are that are arrogant, we think of individuals that um, think they know more than everybody else, and that, that is pride. But you know, there's, there's the other extreme of pride. There's the, the extreme of timidity. Uh, there's the extreme where we um, walk around with this uh, inferiority complex, and you say, Pastor, you're saying that that's pride? Yes, it is, because it's self-centered. Pride is always self-centered. And what happens is, when we don't put God and His Word first place in our life, whether we want to admit it or not, what we're doing is we're beginning to yield to pride because we're saying, God, I don't need you, or Father, I know better than you. And that's, that, that's pride, uh, and, and oftentimes it, Actually, a lot of times pride can be um, disguised. It can be disguised by religion. Because oftentimes with religion, what we're doing is we're, we're focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on our abilities. We're focusing on what we can do rather than um, looking completely to God and trusting in Him. And so, got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Psalms, the the 40th Psalm. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me, and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of the horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will seek or, or many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. And so anyway, it's, it's talking about that. That illustrates, it talks about putting our trust completely in the Lord. You know, it's, it's interesting today. You know, because I, I happen to believe we're in the last of the last days. The Bible says that in the last of the last days, there's gonna be deception. Um, Good is gonna be called evil, and evil is gonna be called good. And we see the manifestation of that all around us. But you know, for for somebody that's in tune at all to the Spirit and the things of God, they're gonna be aware of those things. But you know, the enemy is so deceptive. And uh, he wants to draw us away from the truth, and he does it in such a subtle way, where we take the truths and we take the principles of God, and we, we, we kind of put them on the shelf. We don't set them aside, but we kind of put them on the shelf. And, and the problem with that is, is when everything is going well, we can stand, we can, we can manage, we can handle it. But you know, when crisis comes, and crisis will come, amen. You know, I used to think that walking by faith meant that we would never have any problems in life. (laughs) Boy, was I deceived. Walking in faith means that I have the tools to deal with any crisis, anything that comes my way. We walk by faith, and and yes, Yes, there will be attacks that come against us. But through the Word of God and through the promises that we have in God's Word through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can stand and we can overcome whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever it is that comes our way. But you know the difficult thing is is if we've not given God and if we've not given His Word its, its proper place, when that time of crisis comes, We don't know where to turn. We can say, well, I know I need to turn to God and I I need to turn to his word, but it's not really alive to us. And so in this day that we're in, the word of God needs to be alive to us. We need to set aside pride and we need to realize, I can't make it on my own. I need Jesus in my life. And yes, it comes to us through his grace and through his mercy. But you know what? <clears throat> for by grace we've been saved through faith. The graces are available to every man, woman, and child that has ever walked upon the face of this earth. But they have to be appropriated by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith comes by hearing the word. And so if we don't give place to the word of God, there's no way for God, we will not be totally trusting in the Lord. In Ecclesiastes, it's one of those books that our Bible doesn't just automatically open to. But in Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, in the eighth verse, it says the end of things is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit are better than the proud in spirit. The end is better than the beginning. You may have been going through some struggles, but let me tell you something. The end is better than the beginning, and it belongs to those that are patient. In Scripture, the word patient doesn't mean putting up with, The word patient, if you study it out in the Greek, it means to be consistent, to be the same no matter what the circumstances are in our life. And what it tells us, that when we're persistent, when we're consistent, concerning the word of God, the end is gonna be better than the beginning. In other words, in the beginning, it may look like it's impossible. It may look like there's no way that we're gonna come through this victoriously. But you know what, in the end, we're victorious. One way or the other. One way or the other. You know, I believe in healing. I believe that it belongs to us here and now. You know, if, if some disease tries to attach itself to my body, I'm going to attack it with every ounce of energy that I have within me. And I'm going to believe until I draw my last breath that I'm gonna be made whole. But you know, if for some reason it doesn't manifest, now I'm not prophesying here. I'm using this as an example. But if for, for some reason it doesn't manifest, my end is still better than the beginning. Because in my end, I'm gonna be present in the presence of Jesus, and how can it get any better than that? Listen to me, folk. As born-again believers, we can't lose. It's, a, it's an absolute impossibility for us to lose, because our end is always better than our beginning. But I want you to understand something. We don't have to wait to the end till heaven till we begin to begin to experience the manifestation of the kingdom of God in our life. It's his desire for us to experience that right here and now. But even then it's going to require some patience. It's going to require that we be persistent. It's going to require that when we've done all to stand, that's what patience is. When you've done all to stand, you stand there for. And why do we continue to stand there? Because we know what's available to us. We know what belongs to us. Silas and Paul, when they were in the prison, why did they worship? Why did they, they were in a miserable state. We talked about this on Wednesday evening when we were talking about the Believer's Authority. Why did, they, why did they sing hymns? Now, you've got to understand, they're prisons. They're filthy. They're dirty. They're basically in the sewer system. They stink. They're wet. They're damp. They're cold. And here they are, chained. And it says that Paul and Silas are singing hymns of praise. And we know that they're singing out loud because it says that the prisoners, the other prisoners are listening. In other words, they must be doing it out loud. They heard them. Why would Paul and Silas in that pathetic position be able to praise and worship their God because they knew the end? was gonna be better than the beginning. They knew that God was their deliverer. And what happened? The chains fell off and they were set free. You may be in in the midst of a situation that looks absolutely impossible to you, but I want you to understand something. If God's for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. If God's with you, it doesn't matter who's not with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Let's go over to math or excuse me to Mark the 7th chapter. And in Mark the 7th chapter the 14th verse. Mark the 7th chapter in the 14th verse. It says when he had called all the multitudes to himself, he said to them, "Hear me, everyone and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things that, which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And so, you know, you can have ears, but you don't hear. He says, let everybody that has ears here, You know what that means? That means we've got to perk up and we've got to listen. And so he's saying, what I'm about to share with you is so important. You need to listen to me. Isn't it sad that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God had to tell his followers, now perk up and listen to what I'm about to say. I would hope that if I were there, I would want to hear everything that Jesus had to say, but they don't. And do you know why? Because of pride. I've gone to meetings. I remember one meeting I went to in Silvus, Illinois. Um, Brother, uh, Association of Faith, Churches and Ministries. Jim Caseman. Jim Caseman. Thank you. What would I do without my wife? She just got done taking care of the kids downstairs. She steps in the room for two minutes and she bails me out. But Jim Caseman was there. and I don't know if you're familiar with him, but a great man of God. And so there was a lunch. And so he got to sit down at lunch and I got to sit down right across from him. And so I'm thinking, here we are, and I get to glean from the man of God. I get to sit here and listen to what the man of God has to say. And so then this other individual came in and sat down next to me, some peon pastor that nobody's aware of, and he spent the whole time telling us how brilliant he was. And Jim Caseman being like every great man of God that I've ever encountered, he's not gonna push his way in. So if you wanna talk, go ahead and talk and miss out on everything that I had to say. So guess what? I got to miss out on everything that Jim Caseman had to say because some peon preacher had more to say because he thought he was something. I'll tell you something. There's a lot of people out there that think they're something. Amen. Well, pastor, you shouldn't talk that way. Well, then you come up here and take my place. It still irritates me to this day that I didn't get to listen to Jim Caseman. I had to listen to some peon pastor that I wasn't interested in a single thing that he had to say. So here we are. Jesus. Jesus. Has something to say. He's got to say, listen to me. You know what our biggest problem is? Is we don't want to hear what he has to say. We would rather hear what some peon pastor has to say because he's going to tickle our ear a little bit. As for me in my house, I want to hear what Jesus has to say because when I hear what Jesus has to say, it's going to bring wholeness. It's going to bring freedom. It's going to bring deliverance into my life. And I've been saved for 45 years. I've been preaching for 37 years. But let me tell you something. Jesus still brings freedom and wholeness and deliverance into my life every time I'll stop and listen to what he has to say. But guess what? It's gotta be a choice. We've gotta make a decision. I'm gonna hear what Jesus has to say to me. And so um, forgot where I was at, 14th verse, must be down to the 15th by now. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house, <clears throat> away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he said to them, are you thus without understanding? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that have heard for a long time, but they're without understanding, why? Because they didn't hear. They heard, but they didn't hear. They had ears to hear, but they didn't hear. Why? Because oftentimes we think we know better than God. And so what happens is we turn them off. We read the Word of God, but we read the Word of God through a filter. Everything that you've ever heard, everything that you've ever been taught in your life in the past, it's a filter in your life. You sit around and you listen to Fox all day long, that's a filter in your life. And when you begin to read the Word of God, that'll filter things in your life. Let me tell you something. You sit around and you listen to TBN all day long, and I I listen to certain shows on TBN. But if you listen to it all day long, the things that you hear, hear on that will become a filter in your life. And so every time you hear something, you will filter it according to that which is already in your heart. And we can say, I don't want it to be that way, but that's how it is. And that's how here what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. He says, you've got to watch what you hear. You've got to watch what you see. You've got to watch what you allow to, you you speak out of your mouth. Because what you hear, what you see, what you speak out of your mouth is going to determine how you hear Jesus and how you hear Jesus what he has to say in your life. I said this Wednesday night. I said, "You know, when I got began to get a hold of the Word of Faith message, I realized something. Faith is easy. Faith is easy. Romans 10:17 says, "Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God." You hear the word of God, faith comes. Faith is easy. What's difficult is on learning what you had learned about faith that was wrong. I was raised in an environment that you just never knew about God. You know, maybe God will want to bless you, maybe He won't. You know, I remember my pastor, the last pastor I had before I went into the ministry. He was a wonderful man of God, but some of his doctrine was screwed up. We're going to a meeting one night, and he says, Pastor, he didn't call me Pastor. I was just, we didn't even call each other Elder Dave in that that church, but I was just Dave. And so we're going to this meeting, and he says, "Uh, I finally got it figured out. And of course, that should be a clue right there when you think you've got it figured out. But I said, I think I've I've got it figured out. And I says, well, what is it? And he says, "I, I finally understand why sometimes your prayers are answered and sometimes they aren't. And I says, well, why is that? And he says, because sometimes God says yes and sometimes God says no. Well, I thought, well, that makes sense. But then I did something. I read my Bible. I read my Bible, do you hear me? And it says all the promises of God are yes and amen. James says you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. You know that means? That doesn't mean that God is saying no. That means you've asked for the wrong thing. You've asked for something that is, I can't say that because God is God. I was gonna say it was beyond his ability to give you, but you know, God is God. But he won't give it to you because it would go contrary to his word. And so, why is the Word of God so important? Because when we study the Word of God, we find out what the promises of God are, the graces are that He's made available to us. And He says, every one of those promises to us are yes and amen. And so I've been taught, you just never know about God, sometimes He heals, sometimes He doesn't heal. Well, the Bible declares that by the stripes of Jesus we have been healed, past tense. And so it's His will to heal. Well then, Pastor, does everybody get healed that you pray for? No, why not? I don't know. The Bible says the secret things belong to God. If somebody I pray for isn't healed and I can't figure out why, you know why? It's none of my business. You know what my business is? To continue to believe God. If you pray for something, and you know it's according to the Word of God, the will of God, and you don't see the immediate manifestation of it, you know what you do? You stand. You be patient and you stand until you see the manifestation of it, but what if it doesn't happen? You continue to believe. And you can't figure out why it isn't happening. Well, continue to ask God, because the secret things belong to Him. And if you need to know, He'll show you. Guess what? With God, It's on a need-to-know basis. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. But you know what's the truth? The secret things belong to God. We can trust his word completely, wholeheartedly. We don't change our doctrinal position because of experience. And oftentimes what we've done, we've established our doctrine on experience. Most of you have heard me share this story how when we were pastoring up in Waupaca, Wisconsin, we used to go over to the, the Assemblies Church for a lot of special meetings. Uh, it was, it was a, largest, a larger church in town. And and they, <clears throat> they had this wonderful woman in this church. I, and she was, she was a wonderful woman. And she had MS and she was confined uh, to a bed. And so when they'd have special meetings, they would, They would bring her in and did have to bring her in literally on a gurney because she could not sit up. They'd have to get the ambulance to bring her and she'd come to the meetings. And and that church believed that it was not God's will to heal everybody because this woman had not been healed and if God would heal anybody, He would heal this woman because she was such a wonderful Christian, such a wonderful woman. I knew the woman. She was a wonderful woman. She was a wonderful Christian. I don't know why she was not healed, but there's one thing that I do know. I will not change what I believe concerning the Word of God because of somebody's experience. If I change what I believe concerning the Word of God, it's going to be because of fresh new revelation of something in the Word of God that I'd never seen before. But those truths, those principles that he's given us, they don't ever change. And so Jesus is speaking to these these disciples and he has just gone into the house and they asked concerning the parable and he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. He said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart, the man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, Uh, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. And you know how those things get in us? It gets in us through our eyes, through what we hear, by what we speak. And so he's saying to them, you need to guard yourself against those things because those things that we hear, those things that we see, those things that we speak out, those are the things that'll defile us. And why is that so important for us to know that? Because what happens is, when we become defiled, we enter into pride. Because we begin to think that we know better than God and that pride will block the blessings of God in our life. It's kind of like rubber and electricity. Rubber, rubber will keep that electricity from transferring. Well that's what pride will do to you and I. God wants His blessings to be transferred into our life so that it can be a, so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. But you know what? When we begin to think that it doesn't matter what I hear, when we begin to think it doesn't matter what I see, when we begin to think it doesn't matter what the priorities are in my life, let me tell you what that is. That is pride because God has spoken to us and He's revealed to us what really matters. And the most dangerous place for us to be is for us to come to that place where we think we know better than God, that when God says something is evil, we have it, we are convinced within ourselves that it really doesn't matter. In Isaiah 54, verse 17, it says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. That's even Old Testament. He says, and your wages Excuse me. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord. That's us. That's speaking to you and me, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that's been raised against us in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. You know, I don't know about you, sometimes just want to be fleshly. You understand what I'm saying? Just, just want to let the flesh loose. You know, somebody says something and you just, you just want to let loose. You want to defend yourself and you want to let them know the truth of the matter is. But you know, the thing that I found is every time I defend myself, I dig the hole deeper. And I remember when I came across the passage that says that the Lord is my defender, that I can depend upon Him. And you know, I I learned that when I began to allow Him to be my defender, he could do a much better job than I could ever dream of doing. Do You know why we feel like we have to defend ourselves? It's pride. How dare you say that about me? But then what happens is is we forget what Jesus had to endure. Jesus didn't just simply have to endure the suffering He had to endure people spitting on him. He had to endure people mocking him. He had to endure all those things. But you know, he did it for us. And so if Jesus was able to endure it, we can endure it as well. We're talking about the heart, how important it is to protect the heart. In Proverbs 4.22, it says that out of our heart, flows the issues of life. You know why the Word of God is so important? That we've got to get it down into our heart, into our, into our inner man. Because, you know, if as far as we get it, if we just have it in our head, it won't flow out of us. We'll have to think about it. The attack of the enemy comes against us in whatever form it comes against us. And of course, that's the other thing we've got to realize. We're in the midst of a battle. The battle is is the enemy wants to bring death and destruction into our life. He wants to steal from us everything that has been provided for us through Christ Jesus. John 10, 10 says, a thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so when the enemy attacks, It needs to be a response that flows out of us. And we come against it and we say no. In the name of Jesus Christ, no weapon formed against me is gonna prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even my faith, my faith in the completed works of Jesus is already done. So I put my trust, I put my confidence in him and in him alone. And nothing that the enemy tries to bring against me is gonna succeed. Remember when the children of Israel were about to come out of Egypt, and Moses went before Pharaoh and and said, let my people go, and Pharaoh wouldn't allow them to go. And uh, listen to what pharaoh finally said in Exodus, the fifth chapter in the second verse, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Well, Father, you know, Pastor, I'd never I'd never be guilty of that. Well, I beg to argue with you. I beg to argue from the standpoint that we do that all the time. We allow all sorts of things to come before God that we don't obey His voice. And whether we like it or not, we're saying basically the very same thing that Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? When we don't honor Him, when we don't obey Him, when we don't follow Him, When we don't apply the truths and the principles that He's given us in His Word, basically what we're saying is, who is the Lord? I want you to know who the Lord is. He's God Almighty. He's the one who needs to be first place in our life in every circumstance, in every situation. In Proverbs, 23.7, 23.7, passage I have grown to appreciate. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why our heart is so important. That's, you know, here where it says think in your heart, it's not talking about your, it's not talking about your brain. Yeah, it's got to come through our soul. But what's in our spirit? What are we storing up in our heart? What's the truth that we've received? What is, are we renewing our minds by the word of God? Are we planting the things of God in our heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, when, when the things of God dominate us, rather than the things of the world, what happens when, when a circumstance arises in our life, what flows out of us, what's ultimately in our heart. If it's what's going on in the world, well, that's bound to happen because after all, you know, the economy is just horrible. It's no wonder we don't have anything. No, no, no. The Word says that my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus, that He desires for me to prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. He desires for me to be blessed, to be prosperous in every area of my life. You know, in Joshua 1.8, Junior's back there panicking because, that's not on the list, that's not on the list, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Joshua eight says, this book of the law, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. This book of the law, this Bible, these truths of scriptures, he's good, isn't (laughs) he? This scripture, it shall not depart. You know, it sounds like you're not supposed to say it. No, it's to be continually in our mouth. And it says we're to meditate in it day and night. We're to be thinking about it day and night, every day circumstance that occurs in life, there ought to be a scripture that pops into our mind. It may not be chapter and verse, but you know, chapter and verse means nothing. What we need is the meaning of those verses. This, it shall, we shall meditate it, in it day and night that you may observe to do according to what is written in it. You want to live an obedient life to the Word of God? Meditating the Word day and night. Well, you know, pastor, being a Christian is so hard. No, it isn't. We meditate, is it hard being in the world? No, all you have to do is hang out in the world, and what happens? You start acting like it. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know that it's true. You don't have to try to be like the world. All you have to do is hang out in the world and you will be like the world. And so it's not that difficult to live the Christian life. He tells us right here, meditating the Word. In other words, if we would give the Word of God and the things of God as much attention as we give the world, our life would demonstrate the things of God. It would just happen. Meditate in it day and night that you may observe according to what is written in it. For then, when? After we've meditated in the word of God and we've begun to imitate that word, observe it. For then, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Everybody say good success. He wants us to have good success. You know, good success is when we are successful in every area of life. You know, almost every Monday night. Well, every other now. Used to be every Monday night. But I visit... uh, Ford Dodge Correctional Facility and the North Central Correctional Facility in Rockwell City. And I encounter men who have been very successful. Some of them have been good success in their dealings. I mean, they talk about when they walked around with thousands of dollars in their pocket. I've encountered individuals that in legitimate businesses have been very successful, but you know what? They didn't have good success because they ended up in prison. I've known men that have been very successful. They've been lawyers, they've been bankers, they've been doctors. And they've been successful in their practices and so forth. But they lost their health. That's not good success. Let me tell you what good success is. Good success is for you to experience the abundance of God in every area of your life. That means socially, economically, spiritually, physically. In every single area of your life you experience the abundant life that's been made available to you through Christ Jesus. That's good success. And what does he say? He says that if we will give the Word of God proper attention and we put it first place in our lives, the result of that is gonna be, is that we will experience success in every area of our life. That's what I want. That's what you want. And you know, the thing about it is, that's what he wants for each and every one of us. In 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, and the third verse, it says, if anyone teaches otherwise, and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the doctrines which accord with godliness. He is proud. Boy, we encounter a lot of proud people, don't we? He says, the one that does not abide by the teachings and the doctrines of Christ, that he's full of pride. He is proud, knowing nothing. He knows nothing. You know what's ironic? Is you can find somebody that is totally brilliant, but without Jesus in their life, they're totally ignorant. They may be able to intellectually solve the the world problems, but they're ignorant because their soul is lost. The very thing that everybody is working so hard to save is the very thing that they're going to lose because they're too proud to acknowledge that they need a Savior. Last night on the way home from from Council Bluffs, Lauren had her dance recital and so we're driving back and we've got Joel Olstein on and Joel must be off to a meeting, someplace, a vacation, or something. But anyway, they had somebody else speaking, and, and uh, but they had uh, uh, Paul Olsen, Joel's older brother, who's a uh, who's a surgeon, shared testimony, and he is in Iraq and he is talking about how uh, he is there for two months as a surgeon, and they were. Uh, ministering to the, um, the Iraqi soldiers that would be wounded, said they actually ministered to the um, SS soldiers, uh, ISIS soldiers that were wounded, and, and to the civilians. And talked about how, you know, they're, they're all Muslims who they're, they're ministering to. But he says, you know, we just... We just showed them the love of God. We ministered to him and he talked about the horrendous um, injuries that, that children had, arms blown off and so forth. And, and he talked about, you know, the Iraqi soldiers that they would minister to and the, the civilians that would come in and, and said there were some, there were two ISIS uh, soldiers there that were wounded and, and they didn't know that, people around them were able to understand what they were saying, but they they heard these two ISIS soldiers speaking to one another, and, and, and the one said to the other, he says, why do we hate these people so much? They have showed us nothing but love and kindness. They love us. Why do we hate them? And he said that in the time that he was there, and this may not sound like a, a huge revival, but he said there were five of the, 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 the civilians and soldiers that came in that prayed and received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And he says, I believe because of, of the love of God that was demonstrated to them, that there were many others that would receive Jesus as well because of the seeds that were planted in their life. They talked about how some of their, and he talked specifically about a young lady that was with him there as an assistant from Lakewood, and how she held this little baby that was injured so badly that uh, um, they weren't able to um, take care of her wounds. But this woman sat in a room with two hours, for two hours rocking her. That's the love of God, and you know what? The world wants that. And in their pride, they think somehow, They're going to accomplish that. But it's impossible apart from Jesus. Because Jesus is love. How do you love your enemy without Jesus? It's an absolute impossibility. But you know what? Because of Christ, because of Jesus, nothing is impossible to you and I. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil speculation, useless wrangling of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, think about this. Those people that we often listen to and we give them so much credit for their wisdom, for their understanding, without Christ Jesus, their minds are corrupt. The Bible says, They're destitute of truth because Jesus is truth. You know, I've said this many times. Any definition of love without God is an incomplete definition of love because God is love. And so if God is love, how can you define love apart from God? But you know what? Jesus is truth. Any truth apart from Jesus is an incomplete truth. To try to define the universe and leave God out of it is an incomplete definition of the universe. Because God is love. Now, godliness with contentness, with contentment, contentment is great gain. God, you know, what, are, what are people searching for? They're searching for contentment in life. There, there's probably those of you in this room that can say, "Pastor, I'm just, I just want to be content in life." Yes. And we find it in Jesus. It's available to us. But you know, above and beyond any of the circumstances, anything that we encounter, we've gotta put Jesus above that. And when we put Jesus above that, we find that contentment, because our contentment is always gonna be in Him. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and the snare. See, the enemy is a snare. And here he's talking about riches. He's talking about man's riches. He's talking about the riches of this world. Now we've got to understand, that God isn't against us having riches, but he is against riches having us. And here in just a little bit we're gonna read the passage that, that speaks of the love of money. And they say, you see, we're not supposed to have money because money is evil. No, it says the love of money is evil. For riches to have you is evil. Why? Because it'll bring destruction. But money is an inanimate object. It's neither good nor evil. It's what we do with it. It's what we choose to do with it. And you know what? It boils down to the Word of God in general. What do we choose to do with it? We look around us and we see people that have Corrupted the gospel. They've taken the gospel and they've used it for personal gain. That's evil. Because the gospel isn't there for personal gain. The gospel is there to make an impact upon the world that we live in. Oh, there's an element of it that's personal. And that's my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the gospel isn't there to be used for personal gain is to be used to further the kingdom of God. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and the snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition, perdition. You know, over the last months, I've seen more people drowning. And I'm not talking about when we are in the ocean down in Honduras. I'm talking about people drowning here in this life. And I wish it were all unbelievers. But I see it with Christians. And you know why they're drowning? People are going to be offended by this. But it's because of pride. The pride is because we put something ahead of God. And you know what? We can all do that for a period of time, but let me tell you something. It's going to catch up. It's going to catch up. And so we need to put that pride aside and we need to realize, I need Jesus. I need Jesus more than I need anything else in my life. And I'm gonna put Jesus where he rightfully belongs, at the head of the line, first place. And where I go, I'm gonna follow him. And I don't care where the rest of the world goes. I don't care where anybody else goes. I'm gonna follow after Jesus no matter what. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You know, kind in my Bible is in italics, that means it was added for clarification. But the money is the root of all evil. How can money be the root of all evil? Because the root of all evil in one form or another is lust. The root of lust is pride. Because we feel like we know better, that we are better. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greeting us and pierced themselves through with many, with many sorrows. You know. <clears throat> I believe it was Dr. Cole that I first made this state, heard make this statement. He said, and I, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but this will be Schroeder's paraphrase. Sin always promises to reward, but always leads to sorrow. And I'm using sorrow because that's what it says here. We look around us and we, we, we get involved in something because we think, well, this is gonna do such wonderful things. And so we begin to compromise our values because in order to achieve, we think that we've gotta compromise our values to be accepted. We've gotta compromise the principles that we've learned from the Word of God. And so for a short period of time, it seems like it's working. It seems like we're experiencing the reward. But you know what happens? Eventually, it catches up with us. And what it leads to is sorrow. Now the good thing is, is we can always turn back to Him. We can repent. Over and over again in the Scriptures, we see the word repent. know, our sins have been forgiven once and for all. But the Bible says that we need to repent, repent doesn't mean tell God I'm sorry. Repent means I choose to go in a whole new direction. And I go in the direction that I haven't been going, and I, here we're talking about God, we choose to follow after Him. We put Him first in our life. Matthew 6, it says, seek first. That means before everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, if you go to Matthew 6 and you read that in context, he's talking about the birds of the air. He's talking about the lilies of the field. He's talking about Solomon and all of his glory. And he's saying if God provided for the lilies of the field, he provided for the, the sparrows, that even Solomon in all of his glory doesn't compare to this. He says, as God's provided for the lilies of the fields and the sparrows of the fields, he'll provide for you and I if we seek first the kingdom. The greatest lie of the devil that I'll bring against anybody is if I give this up for Jesus, I'll miss out. And guess what? That which we give up, because the price is too big, too great, ultimately leads to sorrow. But what we don't realize is that he says that if we seek first, all of this stuff is gonna be added unto us. We spend all of our life, we, we spend our Christian life trying to obtain what Jesus says is attack on. That if we'll seek him first, he'll add this unto our life. You put God first in your life. You go where he asks you to go. You do what he asks you to do. The clothing, the shelter, all of that stuff. He says, I'll tack it on. I'll add it unto you. And so we need to put him First. Seek him first. In Luke the eighteenth chapter, we have the account of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and how they stood in prayer. Actually, in 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 Luke eighteen, it talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and how the Pharisee he's he's. He's standing up there and he says, oh Lord, I give my tithes, go to church every Sunday, and then Father, I follow your commands. Not like that pathetic tax collector. The tax collector, he won't even lift his head. He pounds his chest. He basically says, I'm so unworthy. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. I'm so unworthy, I, I, I'm not even worthy enough to lift my head. Now that's not, that's not an example for us to follow. But it's a hard attitude that we're to follow. And Jesus says, the Pharisee, he, the religious guy, he doesn't receive anything. He's already got his reward because he stood up in front to be noticed by everybody. But now the tax collector, he had a heart for God because he humbled himself. I guess that's what I'm talking about today. Because we need to be in that place where we humble ourselves. Where we realize, Lord, I can't, I can't make it, I can't survive without you. I need you in my life. And so, I set all of my wants and desires aside, and I choose to follow you and you alone. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear God, and depart from evil. First Corinthians eight, two and three it says, and if if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. If we love God, it says that we're known by him. They don't want to read one more scripture. In Romans, the 12th chapter, in the first verse, it says, I beseech you. This is Paul speaking to the church in Rome. He says, I beseech you, I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service you realize that for us to give everything to God is only reasonable? And do you know why it's reasonable? Because he gave up everything for you and I. He died that we might live. He became poor that we might become rich. He took stripes upon his body so that we might be whole. He was placed in bondage that we might be set free. And best of all, he went to hell so that we can go to heaven. And so, for us to live our life for Him, it's it's just reasonable that we would serve Him. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This this world we live in, we conform to it. We hang out around it and we conform to it. But he says that if we will hear the word of God and allow the word of God to get into our spirit man, it it will transform us. Conformity comes from the outside in. Transformation comes from the inside out. And when we get the Word of God on the inside of us, it begins to change us. It isn't me trying to do it. It's the Holy Spirit working in and through my life. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and accepted and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. For God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Says a measure of faith. I believe the more accurate is the measure of faith. Each and every one of us, when we were born again, we were given the measure of faith. And that measure of faith that you and I received when we were born again is enough faith, not just simply to save us, but it's enough faith so that we can experience the goodness, and the abundance of God in every area of our life. But the problem is, because we've not given ourselves to the Word of God, we don't know what's available to us. We hear a preacher say, well, you never know about God. He might want to heal you, he might not. Because it's somebody that carries authority, We accept it, but it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's his will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so it's his will for every man, woman, and child to experience sozo, salvation. And sozo is more than just simply going to heaven when we die. If that were it, it would be wonderful. But sozo represents more than that. It represents healing. It represents prosperity. It represents deliverance in every single area of our life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, economically. Every area of our life, God wants us to experience salvation. And that salvation manifests in our life as we come to know what Jesus has made available to us and coming to know it means that we choose to accept it we don't allow pride to ride up and say rise up and say well that may be for everybody else but that doesn't apply to me it applies to you every promise of god to you is yes and amen it is not for a select few it's for every born again, believer of God, the promises of God, to bring us to that place of abundance. And I know people panic as soon as you say abundance because they immediately attribute it to material things. I include material things, but you're to experience abundance in every single area of your life. Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the abundant life. We choose it because you made it available to us. And Father, we search our hearts and where we've been prideful, we humble ourselves. For your word declares that if we'll humble ourselves in due time, you'll exalt us. And so we humble ourselves, Father, and we say in every situation, you're right. You're right, and we choose to follow you. Father, as your servants, as your children, use us for your glory. You've imparted gifts into every one of our lives. And so we choose to be obedient to you, to be obedient to the cross, and to follow you with a pure, with a whole heart. Have your way, Father. Father. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.